0: Frank Sinatra achieved worldwide fame as a musician, as a singer, as an actor, and as a producer. He achieved worldwide fame in spite of the fact that he had two infirmities. He was deaf in one ear from birth, and he couldn't read music. Kind of unusual for a musician and for a singer, wouldn't you say? Over his career of 60 years, he recorded over 1,400 different songs. He achieved many awards, Emmys, Golden Globes, Oscars. He achieved great success during his career. On December thirtieth, 1968, he made a famous recording, a song that became an instant hit. It was written for him by Paul Anka, another musician and songwriter. That song became an instant hit by the name my way. That song became synonymous with Frank Sinatra and Frank Sinatra became identified with that song, my way. The words of that song describe our culture today and much of the culture throughout the world. We live in an era when we say I will do it my way. My morals, my ethics, my truth, my plans, my purposes, whatever will please and satisfy me, that's what I will do. We like to view that as kind of an original new idea. But in reality, it's as old as the devil himself. Because in eternity past, he came to God and said, I'll do it my way. I will be like the Most High God. And there's only one God, and God cast him out because of his sin and his rebellion. It's as old as Adam and Eve in the Garden in Eden. They followed the same path as the devil. They rejected God and his authority and his commands over them. And they decided to do it my way. They chose to rebel and disobey God and ate of the forbidden fruit. And thus all of their posterity, all of humanity birthed from them has followed in their footsteps because we have inherited their same sinful nature. We see that same attitude exemplified during the time of Noah and the flood. An attitude of, I'll do it my way. And great sin and wickedness reigned upon the earth. And mankind did it his way repeatedly. The scriptures describe for us that era, and they use some very stark terms to describe that era during the time of Noah, just prior to the flood. We can read it in Genesis chapter 6. We read in verse number 5, it says that God looked down from heaven and he looked upon the earth and he saw the great wickedness of mankind. They were so wicked that they were depraved, it says in verse number 11. They were putrid in God's sight. And there was violence, there was suppression, there was oppression, there was bloodshedding, there was injustice. A thoroughly wicked, evil time. The scriptures further describe it in verse number 12 as degenerate, debased, vicious. That was the world of Noah's time. They followed the pattern set for them by Adam and Eve. In essence, long before the song made famous by Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way. And they pursued personal satisfaction, even when it meant the destruction and the oppression and violence against other people. It was kind of an attitude, I will do it unto you before you do it unto me. Why did God record this story? Why did God move and inspire Moses to write it and record it? Well, we find in Scripture some very clear evidence as to why God moved upon Moses to write this story and to record this narrative of centuries ago. He was leading the children of Israel from the country of Egypt. They had lived there for over 400 years as slaves. And God had promised them their own land and that he would take them there and give it to them. He would drive out the enemies within the borders of this land and he would give it to them. And he raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. And as they headed from Egypt to the promised land, they went through the wilderness. In reality, that trip should have only taken a very short time period, a year, two years perhaps. Instead, because of the wickedness of the children of Israel, they camped throughout the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land 40 years. And during that time period, they acted and lived and behaved just like the people did in the time of Noah. And so this record that Moses provided for them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, could serve us and provide education, warning for the children of Israel. It could warn them and remind them as to why they were wicked in the first place. The cause of their sinfulness, tracing it back even before Noah to Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden. They inherited that sinful nature. And cause them to sin. It also would provide a warning for them. That God judges sin. He doesn't view it kindly like a grandfather would. But rather, in holiness, he judges mankind for their sin. And that judgment is certain. And that judgment can come suddenly. And God, through Moses, was warning his chosen people, the children of Israel, of his attitude toward sin and his judgment for it. And it was a warning to the children of Israel to obey God and to worship him and to follow him exclusively. It also would prepare them for their entrance into the promised land because the nations that inhabited that promised land lived in a worse sense than the children of Israel did. And God had told the children of Israel, when you go into this land that I have promised to you, I want you to destroy them for their sin because of their wickedness. And so this narrative of Noah and the ark would provide great instruction and warning for the children of Israel as they traveled towards the promised land. Further, it gives to us an indication of God's plan of redemption, and it would point out for the children of Israel, his faithfulness to his promise to Adam and Eve in the garden when he said, I will bring forth the seed of the woman who will be a serpent slayer, and he will slay the serpent and destroy him. Looked kind of bleak, but by the example of the ark, God was showing them just a little brief glimpse into his plan of redemption as to some of the facets and aspects of it. It would be supernatural. It would be under the sovereign control of God himself. It would be by grace, undeserved, unmerited. And it would be for his chosen people, those who would believe and trust him. And we see that pictured in the ark. For the scriptures described for us in Genesis chapter 6, that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. And in grace, he instructed Moses to construct an ark for their preservation and safety from the coming destruction that God would bring upon all the earth. And so that ark would give to the children of Israel a little glimpse into what God had in mind for his plan of redemption for them and for sinners like you and like me. So we see that God used this narrative in the lives of his children the children of Israel as they moved from Exodus towards the promised land The obvious question comes for you and me what correlation does that have to you and me we're not in the wilderness we're not traveling from Egypt to the promised land We had no land like that promised to us What correlation does it have, if any, for you and me? Well, I trust that as we have examined the children of Israel and as we've examined the time of Noah, sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like a description right out of our everyday newspapers. The destruction and the wickedness that we see on every hand throughout all of the world, not just in our own land, but throughout the earth. Destruction of mankind, wickedness, evil, putrid lives, oppression, selfishness, everyone running about, I'll do it my way, I'll do it my way, don't tell me what to do. I'll satisfy my own personal desires and interests. I'll determine what's truth for me. I'll determine my own morals, my own ethics. And I'll live it my way. And that describes our era. Describes it to a T. So we can profit from this narrative just like the children of Israel profited from it centuries ago. Because the time of Noah, the time of Israel in the wilderness, has great similarities to our day today. An era of wickedness. An era of evil. Under the condemnation of God. And God withholding at the present massive judgment. Oh, we do see some judgment from time to time throughout the earth. God bringing judgment against people for their sin and their wickedness. Certainly not like in Noah's time. But God judges sin. He brings judgment upon it and we see it pictured and described for us. And that judgment is certain. And that judgment can come suddenly. It came suddenly for the people living in the time of Noah's day. They'd never seen rain, never had a flood. And God judged them suddenly for their sin. Oh, he sent them warning. Noah is described in Hebrews chapter 11 as a preacher of righteousness. Not only did he build an ark, but he warned the people for the purpose of the ark, and that God was going to judge the earth and all of mankind and destroy them for their sin and wickedness. I'll do it my way, they said. Do it my way. And they completely rejected the instruction and the warning from Noah. And there were people during the journey in the wilderness, the children of Israel, who rejected the warning from Moses and the warning of this narrative from Noah in the flood, and they rejected God too. And they died by the thousands in the wilderness, never getting to the promised land. And they died in in God's judgment because of their sin and wickedness, their refusal to obey and follow God. So that can warn us, as it served as a warning to the children of Israel as well. God's judgment is certain, and it can and will come suddenly. We also see the picture of God's plan of redemption as kind of typified in the ark, if you will, just giving us a little peek, a little glimpse into God's plan of redemption. Only we have a far greater benefit than the children of Israel or even the people in Noah's day because God has fulfilled his plan of redemption we have it available to us in our day god's promise of a serpent slayer he fulfilled and he fulfilled it in the gift of his own son the lord jesus christ we see that stated to us very clearly in a verse that maybe you have heard it's a famous verse it's taken from the gospel of john chapter 3 verse number 16 It says that God so loved the world, his creation, that he gave his only begotten son, his only one-of-a-kind son, his only beloved son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Described in that one verse, the fullness of God's provision of the serpent slayer. Promise to Adam and Eve, pictured in the ark, proven, provided in history by God in his faithfulness to his promise. The gift of his son, perfection in mankind, God living in human flesh. He lived upon the earth for 30 plus years. During that 30 years, he didn't commit one sin. Didn't fail God in one command. Obeyed him fully. And when it came to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, he didn't die on that cross because of some wrong he had committed. No, he had come under God's direction to become a sacrifice on behalf of people like you and me. A substitute a perfect sacrifice, one that the Father designed, one that the Father accepted, a substitute, a sacrifice on behalf of sinners like you and like me, one that the Father accepted. And on that cross, as the Lord Jesus hung there suffering because of the sin of people like you and me that he bore in his own body on the cross, Ultimately, as his life ebbed away, he cried with an exultant cry, it is finished, it's done, it's over, the sacrifice complete, payment made. And three days later, as he rose from the grave, he rose victorious over sin, over Satan, over death, to an eternal life. That's available for us in our day. Moses didn't have it. Noah didn't have it. Oh, they had pictures. They had warnings. They had promises that they believed, that they trusted. They looked forward to the serpent slayer even though they didn't actually see it. We have the fulfillment of that promise. God's faithfulness in the provision of his son the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, the serpent slayer, God's provision, the sacrifice, people like you and me. I remember as a young boy, trusting upon Christ as my own Savior, claiming him for myself, that what he accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection in his lifetime was for me as my substitute. And I claimed it for myself. And perhaps that describes you as well. Maybe you as you've watched this video, you've seen yourself. And it describes you. For you, at, at some point in your life, you trusted upon Christ as your Savior. And his death and life and resurrection as for you. And the Father's acceptance of it for you. And you enjoy forgiveness of sin and fellowship with God through the Son, the Lord Jesus. But perhaps that doesn't describe you. Perhaps you have never trusted Christ. Maybe this is even new to you. You've never heard it before. Whether you've heard it once or whether you've heard it many times, I want to call upon you to trust Christ. God has made provision for sinners like you and like me. I can give testimony of the faithfulness of God that when you trust Him and call upon Him, He gives what He promised eternal life. I call forth the Holy Spirit of God to come and breathe upon you today with new life, to give you a new birth, to give you a new heart to give you the faith to believe and to trust upon God's provision for people like you and like me in Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, who on the cross paid a penalty for people like you and like me. And in his resurrection, he rose again from the dead to give eternal life for people like you and like me who will trust him. And I call upon the Spirit of God to invigorate within you that faith to believe and trust and call upon Christ today for your Savior. You can find more information about this ministry at my website, masterministries.org. If you would like to send me an email, I'd be glad to receive it from you. My email address is hill underscore tom at att.net. Thank you for joining me. May God bless you.